Are you glad you came to church today? I'm glad you're here too. And I want to invite you right now to turn in your Bible or the one that's provided to you in the pew rack and turn to the Old Testament, to the passage that Pastor Greg read a few moments ago from Exodus chapter 33. And I'll not take time to reread the text, but it would be helpful if you had it open before you this morning and could refer to it as we move through the scriptural text this morning. Exodus chapter 33. It happened in just an instant, from top of the mountain to bottom of the heap, literally the bottom of the heap. Joe Kay was the high school's golden boy. He was an all-conference basketball star. He was senior valedictorian. He was the lead saxophone in the concert and the jazz band at his high school. After graduation, Joe Kay was headed to Stanford University to major in pre-law. On the night of February the 6th, 2004, Joe Kay was leading his basketball team in their victory against their arch rivals, Tucson High School. In a glorious last-minute nail-biter slam dunk by Joe, the basketball game was won. It was the absolute perfect ending to a great high school basketball career. But as the buzzer sounded, the, the crowd of crazed, deliriously happy fans from his high school rushed to their hero chanting, Joe K, Joe K, Joe K. And the sport changed from basketball to football. And Joe K wound up crushed on the bottom of a heap of adoring fans. And in an instant, Joe K's world was changed. The next thing Joe K remembered was coming to consciousness in the local hospital. You see, the pile of celebrating fans had become a crushing force against Kay's neck. The blood flow was to his brain was cut off by a compressed carotid artery, and he suffered a massive stroke. Paralysis, brain damage, a life changed in an instant forever. In writing for Sports Illustrated, Rick Riley asked the right question about this very unusual and freakish tragedy. He said, how could a bunch of students trying to idolize their high school basketball star, Joe Kay, how could they paralyze him instead? It occurs to me as I read that true story of this young man, Joe Kay, that even in 21st century America, idol worship is still not out of style. It's still very much alive. And as we pick up the story of the Israelites in Exodus uh, chapter 33, I, I want to re recap just a moment in case you've forgotten the chronology of the history that's gone on. That at this point in Exodus 33, Moses called by God standing before the burning bush 
called by God to lead his people out of their captivity in Egypt and into the promised land, into that land flowing with milk and honey. And they've come through the Red Sea. They are completely free. Not only did they get to witness one of the the greatest miracles of history, that is the parting of the Red Sea, but God promises to His people that He will lead them to that land that He promised to their, their father Abraham. To that land that God described that flowed with milk and honey. But then while Moses was meeting with God up on Mount Sinai, the people began to get frustrated and impatient, which we often are wont to do, and they decided to forge a golden calf that could lead them the rest of the way toward the promised land. They were impatient with God, and so they took matters into their own hands and fashioned this golden calf. Can you imagine how frustrated Moses must have been? You read of that frustration in Exodus chapter 32 as he comes down from Mount Sinai for the first time after having received the law from God only to find his people worshiping the golden calf. Moses was so angry with them for their impatience and their disobedience that he threw the Ten Commandments down and broke the two tablets that God had given them. Can you imagine, put yourself in Moses' shoes, how overwhelmed he must have felt? I can't imagine it. How frustrated and angry. I mean, how would he ever be able to lead this nation of people hundreds of miles through the desert if this is the way they were going to respond? But it actually gets worse. Because in chapter 33 and verse 3, God says, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But look at this. God says, But I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. God says, My anger is burning so much in response to what these people, these stiff-necked people have done, that I'm not going to go with you. I've changed my mind, Moses. Whereas I said, I will go with you, I will lead you into this land flowing with milk and honey. I've changed my mind. I will not go with you. And Moses responds, what? You're not coming with us. But God, it's you that I want. What do you mean that you're not coming with us? And Moses says to God, he pleads with God in verse 12. God, You've been telling me, you're the one that's called me. Lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. And then he pleads, if you are pleased with me, God, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. You see, the only thing that Moses wanted in return for God's favor, God's benediction, God's blessing on his life. The only thing that God, that Moses wanted was more of God. Moses wasn't interested in more riches. He was interested in God. He wanted to know God more than ever before. And so he cries out in chapter 34, Uh, In verse 9, and he says, O Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. And although this is a stiff-necked 
people, forgive our wickedness and our sin. And take us, O God, take us as your inheritance. What is Moses saying to God? He's saying, God, we're an absolute mess. We've got it all wrong. We've messed up. But God, we are your people. We are the people chosen by you. We are your chosen people. You've called us by name. You've you've promised that we have favor, your favor. God, won't you go with us? Even though this is a stiff-necked people, won't you forgive us and take us as your inheritance? You see, Moses understood God's holiness. He understood God's anger toward Israel, his people. And yet in this moment, Moses cries out to God and he cries out to God for mercy. Mercy and grace. Not just that God would have mercy on this stubborn and rebellious people we call Israel, but that he would continue to view these people as his own special possession, his own special people. So in verse 14 in chapter 33, God speaks to Moses. And there's so much that God could have said to Moses about Israel. Because they'd been so blatant in their sin. But seeing Moses' heart, seeing and hearing his heart cry, God says to Moses, My presence, this is verse 14, My presence will go with you. My presence will go with you. I can hardly imagine Moses' reaction. With a, with a solemn and thankful heart, Moses says to God in verse 15, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. That land flowing with milk and honey, Lord, means absolutely nothing to me if it means not having you, God, with me. So, God, if you're not going with us, keep us right here in this desert. If you're not going to lead us and be present with us, then then let us stay here in the desert for the rest of our lives. What I want to know, God, I want to know you more. I want to know that you are here. You see, when I look at the life of Moses, what I realize is that Moses had it right. He was hungering after more of God. He wasn't hungering for the promised land. He wasn't hungering for the cushy life in that land flowing with milk and honey. Instead, the promise that Moses was hanging on to was the promise of God's presence. It was the only thing that mattered to Moses. And it's why we read in verse 11 of chapter 33 that inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses Face to face as one speaks to a friend. Can you imagine what it must be like speaking in that way to God? As friend with friend? Face to face? Brothers and sisters, I believe that God has great things in store for this church. Amen? But I believe, and I want you to know that as your pastor, there is only one thing, in my opinion, one thing I ultimately long for, for us as a body of believers. 
And that is for God's presence in our midst. I feel like Moses. That if God is not with us. Let's turn out the lights. Let's lock the doors and go home. If God is not present with us. There's really no reason for us to gather together. God has called us to be a people, a community of faith. And over the next four weeks, starting next Sunday, I'm going to talk about what that means for us to be a community of faith, to be a lighthouse in this community, one that takes seriously the call to make more disciples for Jesus Christ, one that, that's serious about connecting with one another in Christian fellowship, in koinonia, and sharing life together in authentic community. One that is willing to love not only those that are within our four walls, but in our love to reach out to our community. I want you to understand that epic faith and our reaching out to our community is not so that First Alliance Church can grow and we can have more numbers. What this is about is reaching out with the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who've not had the privilege and the advantage of hearing the gospel that we have heard repeatedly. What does it mean for us to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to live in authentic community, to love one another and love the lost? And what does it mean to serve one another with the gifts and talents that God has given us. That's what I want to focus on in this series in August called The Church 360 Degrees. God has called us to be a people, a community. But I want to say to you that unless God is present with us, it's all a sham. Write Ichabod over the door. God is not present. Lock the door. Go home. Have a good time. Eat, drink, and be merry, and hope for the best. We need God's presence. And so let's make Moses' prayer our own. God, if your presence is not with us, then don't lead us up from here. Keep us in a desert. We'd rather stay here with you than to go there without you. Do you understand what I'm saying? That God, we want you We are so desperate for more of you in our life that if you are not with us, we don't want to go anywhere else. We need you. That's the bottom line prayer. We don't, we don't need more power. We don't need better singing. We don't need better preaching. What we need in this church, boy, I I feel this in my gut. I hope you feel it. What we need is more of Jesus in this church. Could I get an amen? We need more of Jesus. If your presence does not go with us, then don't lead us up from here. Nearly every Sunday, there's a group of prayer partners that that gathers here early on a Sunday morning, and they pray for all of you. They, they pray over each of these pews. They go into every Sunday school room and pray for the teachers and the students in each of those Sunday school rooms. They are praying right now in the prayer room behind this worship center. They're praying right now for the preaching of the Word. They're praying for God's presence to be made known to us this morning. 
And as we pray for our service, we pray to God, Lord, we know it's not about the sermon. We know it's not about the music. Lord, we want what we do here today to just be about You. It's Your presence we want with us, Lord, and nothing else. And I say all of that because I want you to understand that our greatest value as a church will never be found in the things we accomplish as a church body. Instead, what brings value to this church body is the Lord's presence. It doesn't matter how large we get. It doesn't matter how fancy our programs are or how well-appointed our building and facility is. Without the Lord's presence, we will never be effective. Never. Without His presence, no matter what we're able to accomplish, we will never be successful. We will never be the church that God created and intended for us to be. And so our prayer needs to be that of Moses in verse 16, unless you go with us, Lord, what will make us any different from all the other people on the earth? What will distinguish us? Without God's presence, what makes us different from any institution? Without God's presence, what, what difference is there between us and, and the group that meets at the Lakeshore Country Club? I don't mean to pick on the members of Lakeshore. But what makes us any different? If God is not present with us, what makes us any different? If God is not present with us, what makes us any different than the group that will, will gather together in Jerry Wood Park this week to watch a baseball game? There's absolutely no difference if God is not present. But I want to tell you something that I think we've forgotten. That if God is present with us, it makes all the difference in the world. If Jesus, in His power and His grace, is present with us, it can change not only us and transform us into the likeness of Jesus, but if God is present with us, there will be revival in the church, which we need. Amen. There will be renewing of hearts and minds and transformation of characters, and it will spark a revival in this church that will ripple out throughout Mill Creek and the, the environs of Erie County, and will even reach out to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and reach out to the nation of the United States, and will have a ripple effect around the world. If a group of people like us would get serious about praying Moses' prayer, God, if you are not with us, we might as well shut the door. Without God's presence, what will make us different from the be a good person philosophy of the world? What could we possibly offer the world out there beyond these walls if through our ministry we couldn't invite them into the presence of the Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I do pray and work diligently and hope that the messages and the worship and the ministries of First Alliance are a blessing to those who come through our doors. And yet I know ultimately that the only thing of true value that we have to offer our community is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's great that we have fancy programs. It's great that we've got wonderful music. It's great that we've got inspired and anointed teaching. 
But if we don't have Jesus, we have absolutely nothing. And I'll be honest with you that there are times when that simple truth gets away from me because I'm frail and human. And when I find myself as as the senior pastor of First Alliance thinking, okay, what are we going to do next? How are we going to improve our programs? What strategy are we going to use to make this church grow bigger? And then all of a sudden, God, through His Holy Spirit, grabs me by the nap of the neck. And He says, all you have to do is fan the flames of, of a passion for the Father's presence, and I will make it happen. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about our worship. It's not about our programs. It's not about anything that we do, but it's all about Jesus. And without Jesus and the Lord's presence, we don't have a hope. My calling as one of your pastors is to shepherd this flock and to lead you to the one who is the living water and the bread of life. And when you find Him, you will have absolutely everything that you need. Do you believe that in your heart? That's why the story of Moses means so much to me. Because through it, we're able to look into the heart of a leader whose greatest ambition was not even to arrive in the land flowing with milk and honey. His greatest ambition was to know the Lord's presence with Him. To live His life in the Father's presence. And I think you see that passion expressed in verses 7 through 11. In fact, the words won't be on the projection screen, so you're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way and read in your Bible. But chapter 33 and verse 7, look at this. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses Face to face, there we have it again, face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. You see, whenever Israel would stop and pitch their tents, they would pitch, up the, they would pitch this special tent called the Tent of Meeting on the outskirts outside the camp. And anyone could go there to pray and to worship God. Anyone could have met with God in that place. In fact, in Exodus chapter 19 and verses 5 and 6, God said to Israel, Now if you obey fully my commands and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But instead of being who God made them to be, as the special people of God, they simply chose to live out their relationship with God through Moses. Moses was their intermediary. They didn't need to live that way. They could have been a nation of priests. But they chose to live out their relationship with God through their pastor. I'm wondering, can I go from preaching to meddling for a moment? 
I'm wondering how many of you are living your spiritual life vicariously through your spiritual leaders. Trusting and praying that that Rick's prayed up or that Dave's prayed up, or that Keith is prayed up, or that Ben is prayed up, or the elders are prayed up, and as long as they're prayed up, we'll be fine. And so what we do is we stand at the entrance to our tents. Rather than accepting God's invitation to meet with Him face to face as friend with friend, we say, well, we'll let our leaders do that. We'll let them fall on their faces and pray. We'll let them lead holy lives. And and we'll trust that vicariously through them, we will have the blessing of God. I'm saying that that's not enough. I'm saying that every last one of us in this place who's serious about God and our mission as a church in this world, that we need to fall down on our faces and we need to, you need to, you need to, you need to, you need to. Get down on your face and say, God, if you are not present with us, let's hang it up. You see, God values above any other thing a heart that wants more of Him. And what will make us effective as a church and as individuals aren't the skills and the talents that we bring to the table, but will be our commitment and our passion for more of God. God, give me more of you. This is the same passion that David spoke of in his 27th song, Psalm 27. He said, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. There's a passionate believer, someone who wants one thing, one thing, more of God. I wonder if every one of us, husbands, wives, children, Young people, single people, married people, old people, young people. If every one of us would divorce ourselves from everything else in our life and say, God, there's only one thing I want, and that's more of you. What do you think could result from that? Hello? Are you out there? What could happen if we got really serious about seeking after God with all of our heart. You see, to the degree that we are passionate about God's presence, committed to worshiping Him, not just with our songs and raising our hands on Sunday morning, but committing our lives to live in His presence Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and all over again, to, to that degree, we will experience the kind of intimacy that we want with Him. I think about God's promise to Moses. You know, most people would have been content with with God's promise that he would go with him. But Moses, that wasn't going to satisfy him. He wanted more than that. Talk about pushing the envelope. Look at how Moses pushes the envelope. Just after God affirms his promise, okay, Moses, I changed my mind. I will go with you as you go into the land flowing with milk and honey. Moses pushes the envelope. And in verse 18, what does Moses say? Look at it. Don't look at me. Look at the text. What does it say in verse 18? Hello. Now show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Now, this wasn't long after 
the Red Sea had been parted and, and Moses had seen God deliver Israel, you would have thought that Moses would have been satisfied with the glorious miracle that had taken place, the splitting of the Red Sea. He'd already seen God's glory. But the glory Moses wanted was so much more than outward miracles. He'd already seen God's glorious works. But the real glory that Moses wanted was God Himself. Not the miracles. I want to see you, God. The Hebrew word for glory in the Old Testament is the word kabod. That's why the word ikabod means no glory. Ichabod, no glory. Kabod, glory. The word kabod literally means weight. It's the kind of weight that leaves an impression on those who are touched by it. It's the kind of impression that is made when one walks along the shores of Lake Erie in the sand and your weight creates an imprint in the sand. Now show me your kabod. God, show me your weightiness. Leave your imprint. Leave, leave, leave that mold in me as you step on me with your weight. I need your kabod, God. When Moses stood before the burning bush, of God's glory at Mount Sinai. You remember that was holy land and, and God said, take off your shoes, Moses. You are standing on holy ground because my kabod is here. I wonder what would happen. Let me get my shoes back on. I wonder what would happen if on Sunday morning before you even hit the church doors, if you'd been praying starting on Saturday night, and saying, God, when we meet at 2939 Zimmerly Road tomorrow morning, if it be Your will, let Your kabod fall down. Let Your weight be impressed upon us. We aren't going to hear a sermon. We aren't going to sing a few songs. What we're going to church for this morning, Lord, is to see and to experience Your kabod in our life. What would happen? What would happen? I believe that God is waiting. He's waiting with expectation. He's looking for a people who will search after Him like that with all of their heart. And when we get serious about this and open our hearts to God, He will come. Show me Your ways, Lord, that I may know You. I'm going to jump over because of time a few things that I had intended to say far more than anything that we can accomplish with our hands, what I dream of more for this body of believers, and I'm still praying that it will happen, is for a group of people who are passionate, not for better programs or better music or better preaching or better teaching, but a group of people who are passionate about knowing the Father's presence. And when the Father's presence is there, there will be healing. There will be transformation. There will be lasting change in every last one of us. My concern is that we spend more time praying for God's power or we spend more time praying for God's healing 
when what we need to be praying for is for God to be present. And when God is present, guess what? His power and His healing flow. What we need is more of God. I need it. And you need it. Does that mean that I'm not passionate about how we can impact our region for Christ? Of course not. But what is driving me and fueling me these days is that we would, as a body of believers, become passionate about knowing God more. And I know that there are some of you here this morning that at one time in your spiritual walk enjoyed supreme intimacy with God. One time in your life you were passionate about serving God. But frankly, if you were honest with yourself, today you are just getting by. You're just kind of living out the routine. You're just trying to make it through life one day at a time. I believe that God wants to reveal His glory and He's waiting for a people who will search after Him with all of their hearts and that He will make an impression. He will let His kabod come down on a group of people that are seeking Him with all of their hearts. And I tell you what, I want to be that person. I want to be a part of that church. I want to be a part of that community of faith that says, God, if you are not with us, if your presence is not with us when we gather at 9 or 1030, if your presence is not with us in our ABF meeting, if your presence is not with us in our small group gathering, if your presence is not with us as we are out there scattered throughout the community, Lord, give us more of yourself. And I'm wondering this morning, are you willing to join me and others in that journey? Are you willing to say with David, Lord, one thing I ask of you, one thing I seek, to know your presence, to have you in my life. That's all I need. That's all I want. And I believe that God is calling us as a body of believers this morning to make Him, to make Jesus our prize. To live in the purposes that He's calling us to to live out. And as we invite Him and join Him, all the other things that we're going to talk about over the next four weeks, they'll all come together. Our disciple-making, our evangelism, our, our small group life, our ABFs, our outreach through Epic Faith, all of those things will come together. But there's one bottom line. The bottom line is, Lord, you've got to be present with us. And if you aren't present with us, all of this is not going to happen. I'm seeking God this morning, and I hope you are too. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, more than ever before, I want to come before you and say that with all of my heart, Lord, I'm seeking your face. I'm coming this morning, Lord, with others joining me, and we're not just standing at the entrance of our tents, but but we're moving out to the tent of meeting this morning. We want to come, Lord, as Moses did and as Joshua did, 
We want to come to the tent of meeting and we want to say, God, that we want to speak to you friend as friend. We want to see you face to face. And Lord, there's only one thing that we ask. We ask, Lord, that you would be high and exalted in our life and that the kabod of God, that the glory of God would fall on our lives and upon our church. Let revival begin to happen. Fan it into flame, Lord. May it not be business as usual. May it not just be another Sunday. May it not just be another sermon or another worship song. But Lord, as we gather in this room and rooms throughout this facility, and as we gather with other believers throughout the community, I pray that the kabod, the glory of God, that we'd get a glimpse of that, and it would change and renew and empower us to be the church that you intend for us to be. Make an impression on us, Lord. Step on us and make an imprint until all that others see is the glory of Jesus. This is our prayer. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.